then uh, we also have a prayer emphasis coming up, our fervent week of prayer. You'll hear more about that in the next couple of week as, weeks as well. So we're excited for that. I think that's everything that I have at this time. I'd like to invite Josh to join me up here and share God's word. Thanks so much. Well, I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. I always love the first Sunday uh, coming back from Christmas. Everyone's rocking their new clothes that they got for Christmas. You all look really nice this morning. So let's pray, though, before we jump into our message. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and uh, for this church. Lord, be glorified uh, through the preaching of your word this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll never forget the summer of 2016. I was working as the head counselor at Woodlands Camp down in Georgia, and I had just come off one of the hardest seasons of my life. Some of you guys have heard about this through the past couple sermons. I've kind of revealed some of my story, but just kind of jumping off of this, I had just come off one of the hardest seasons of my life. My aunt had just passed away from cancer, and I had just failed nursing school, just barely. That's what I thought God wanted me to do with my life, was go into the medical field. I put hours and hours at the hospital that semester, studied nonstop, and I came up just short. And I felt like my identity was completely wrapped up in that, and I really struggled that season. But God called me to camp that summer in 2016, and I was kind of at this crossroads, not really knowing what I was going to do or where God was going to lead me next. And I'll never forget sitting at camp the very first night when I got there, in May of 2016, and I remember very vividly our camp director looking at everyone in the room, and he handed everyone in the room a blank check. And on the memo line of the check, it said, my life. And it was written out to God. And our camp director said, this check signifies a heart and life completely surrendered to God. Whatever you're coming into this summer with, whatever baggage you have, whatever issues that are going on in your life, when you can get to a point where you say, Lord, all of my life, all of my plans, all of my ways completely surrender to you, I want you guys to sign this check to the Lord. And I'll never forget he... He followed that up with, he said, this check, it signifies a heart that says, Lord, I will go anywhere, I will do anything at any cost for you, my king. This check signified a surrendered heart to God. You see, this lifestyle of surrender to the Lord is absolutely crucial for our life as disciples of Jesus. And I want to explore that this morning. You see, Jesus wants to guide your life. He wants to guide my life. This was the invitation that he extended to his disciples. He said, follow me. Come follow me. I want to guide your life. See, we just got done celebrating Christmas, right? We just got done celebrating the birth of our Savior, the miracle that it was that our King Jesus had come, born in a manger. But now... Now we live this life of trust and surrender to this person of Jesus. Because when you became a Christian, you declared with your life that you want to follow and surrender to this Jesus. That you want to trust Jesus with your entire life. And you see, Jesus wants to do more than just reside in your life. He wants to be king over every single area of it. 
He wants to be Lord over every single area of it. He's not just this add-on Jesus. He wants to be over every single thing. So how do we surrender it all to him? Because this seems like this is the struggle of every single believer. To constantly lay our life down, give him our desires, our will, our control, and lay it at his feet, isn't it? So we're going to be looking at today Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. So if you guys have your Bibles, feel free to turn into that, or you can look on the screen with us. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. The Word of God says this, It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land, until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the woman who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. You see, these are the last words that Jesus spoke before he died. The last words of Jesus on earth before he were to die. And what is amazing about this passage is that it was predicted in the Old Testament that this would be fulfilled in Jesus. Pastor Kevin, just several weeks ago, went through all those prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ upon his birth. And now here again we are. Jesus is quoting a prophecy being fulfilled at the cross in the final moments before he were to die. And Jesus is quoting here Psalm 31.5. Jesus is quoting Psalms here. And this Psalm says this, Psalm 31.5 says this, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Again, Jesus, at the final hour of his life on earth, and his words here are of total committal, commitment and surrender. Jesus here is authoritatively and willingly laying his life down for us. And up until this point, Jesus has been pouring his life out to his disciples for three years, right? He's teaching them the word. He's doing miracles. He's teaching them how to be apprentices of him, how to live like him, how to abide in the Father like him, doing miracles, forgiving, challenging others, calling out sin, showing grace. He's, he's been emulating this lifestyle for the disciples to follow. And now in his final words, On the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In his dying moment was a moment of trust and surrender to the Father, willingly laying his life down. In in just a few moments, we're going to break that particular phrase down in this passage, but I couldn't help but think about how hard it is to live with that mindset. How hard it is in our Christian life to, to daily say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because 
The, is, the, the thing is, is we all have issues with trust and control, don't we? I was reading an article several months ago in Psychology Today that said, and it was entitled, The Trouble with Trust. And it said this, Trust is the foundation of all human connections. From chance encounters to friendships and intimate relationships, it governs all the interactions that we have with each other. You see, no one would drive a car or walk down a sidewalk or board a train or an airplane if we didn't trust that other people took their responsibilities seriously. We trust that other drivers are going to stay in their lanes when we get into our vehicles every day, that conductors and pilots will be sober and alert when we go on these methods of tra transportation, and that people will generally do their best to discharge their obligations toward us. Culture, civilization, and community all depend on trust. And what's interesting about this, especially in the year of 2020, I think we've lost a lot of trust in a lot of things, haven't we? <laughs> a lot of people are struggling right now to trust the government, right? They don't trust that the government will do what is right, that the government is truly serving the people, a lot of people aren't, don't trust the media at all right now, right? Because of the fake news or false reporting or, or so many media outlets are trying to be the very first to report on things without the facts actually coming out, right? And then there's, there's so much distrust right now even towards businesses. Maybe you guys have experienced this where businesses where people don't want to invest certain money into an organization because they've done something to betray certain people or they've taken advantage of people or they're, they're doing sketchy practices. And so maybe I have a distrust toward businesses. There's relational distrust that we struggle with. Or maybe because of certain decisions of a spouse or a parent or a sibling, it's caused us some mistrust. There are, there are literally songs out there that even have the title or the lyrics in there, Trust No One, because of how ingrained this is into our culture. And so naturally, we long to live our lives as this coping mechanism to deal with all this mistrust, to deal with all this hurt, to deal with all this confusion, to deal with all this frustration. And the natural response to this mistrust is to default into trusting ourselves. I trust nobody but myself. And the danger in this is that it can so easily bleed into our spiritual lives. Pastor John Tyson states that many of us, the world is a very terrifying place and we are looking for every advantage possible to block out the fear, the vulnerability, and harm that can rob us of what we desire. And so we literally become addicted to control. There's a word for this, control freaks, right? We become addicted to control. And if we were to think about it, this actually ends up becoming a form of idolatry. Control becomes a form of idolatry. We want things to go our own way, and so we're going to take everything into our own hands. Don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff that I just mentioned before, it's completely valid for not trusting it. But like I said, the danger is, is that it completely sometimes bleeds into our spiritual lives. 
And what happens is we begin to try and control God. And he becomes like this genie where, God, I will only do this if you give me this. It's like the vending machine relationship. And so just over the next couple minutes here, I read a book recently. It was called The Burden is Light. And the author of this book actually ended up talking about this idea of surrender and trust. And he gave four different diagnostic questions to, for us to kind of consider whether or not we have an, like an idol of control going on in our life. And so I want to look at those four very quickly. So I want to ask you this first one this morning. Do you have a control over the timing of your life? Do you have a control over the timing of your life? What I mean by this is this, that you don't, take, you don't trust that God is going to take care of the timing in your life. And so you put everything into your own hands. You don't really care to pray or seek the Lord about it or seek his word. And, and you just, you can't even wait for anything. And so you just go ahead and take care of it yourself because I, I don't want to wait on the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 9, there's an example of this where King Saul God told King Saul that he needed to wait until Samuel were to come to make a sacrifice before he were to go into war. Israel's enemies were, were about to prowl on them, and, and Saul was feeling this pressure. But God said, I want you to wait. And I want you to wait on Samuel to come and make the sacrifice before I give you the okay. And, and Saul began to freak out, and he couldn't wait on the timing of God. And he, he acted in the place of Samuel. And he offered the sacrifice because he got scared. And God's judgment was brought on him for it. You know, it's funny, this whole control of timing thing, I, I see this sometimes in, in relationships. I mean, I, I struggled with this in, in college where it's like, God, I, I believe that you're good. I, I want to be dating someone. I want to find that partner but I'm just so tired of waiting. And so, you know what? I'm just going to find someone right now. I don't really care if they are someone of faith. God, I'm done with waiting. I'm just taking this into my own hands. Or, or maybe your idol of control of timing is, God, I'm completely unwilling to wait on the resources that, that you will provide for me. And so I'm going to put myself in a bad financial spot just to create an immediate outcome in my life. You see, we try and control the timing of things so often in our life. Number two, we often try to control the outcomes of our life. I remember being in high school and, and wanting so badly to get a good grade on a certain test that I hadn't studied super well for. And I remember looking over to my friend during, during the test and, and looking at his answers. See, I, I cheated because I didn't study, I was being lazy, and I, I wanted an outcome, I wanted control, I, and I went so far as to cheat to get the outcome that I wanted, and it wasn't worth it. I'll never forget in 2012, I worked at a camp in northern Wisconsin, and I, and I had a senior in high school admit to me that, that there was so much pressure in his home to succeed and to get into Harvard that he literally went to the length of cheating his entire high school career so that he would have the highest GPA. Are you trying to control the outcomes of your life? Number three, are you controlling people? 
with having a kid now, I'm already starting to think a lot about this. I can't control every single thing that my kid does. I've talked a lot about this with Pastor Kevin, and he's been a real encouragement to me in this, and that as your kids continue to grow up, you, they're going to make mistakes. And how do we put the gospel around their hearts and their lives and, and walk them through those moments and Yet we often try to control every move and decision and action and word that our kids are saying. And it becomes really unhealthy and becomes an idol. We'd love to control people. We want them always to make a certain choice or decision, and we, we just simply can't. I can't control my little son right now in some of the things that he's going to do. I can try my best, and I'm going to watch over him all the time, but parents, you know this. We can't control everything. And number four, we try to control God. People use God for what he gives them instead of for just who he is. Like I said earlier, I'll just follow you if it's easy. If I get blessed, then I'll follow you. If I get rich, then I'll follow you. There's a great example of this in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 25. It's Jesus is dealing with the rich young ruler who wanted eternal life just so long as that he didn't have to sacrifice his wealth. When Jesus tells him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor, he's very disheartened. He goes away sorrowful for he has great possessions. You see, I want what I want and if it fits into... If God kind of fits into what I want, then, then that's okay, right? No. We control God. Can any of you guys relate this morning to any of those idols of control in your life? Yeah. Let's go back to our passage this morning in Luke 23. Let's look at verse 46. So this quote by Jesus Father, into your hands I commit my spirit is a posture of life that Jesus is wanting us to learn and live and apprentice after. It is a life of surrender. It is a life that says, Lord, I will do anything. I will go anywhere at any cost for you, right? This phrase, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, it's, it gets us off the throne and puts King Jesus in his rightful place. Look at that very first word he says, Father. He's surrendering his will to the Father here. Just as we are so entirely dependent on our fathers as we grow up as children, we can't survive on our own. We need our fathers, right? Our Father knows what is best. Right here, this is an, an active declaration of dependence on the Father. That it's, it's, a, it's a recognition here that, that our Father, is he's sovereign, that he has good intentions for us. Couldn't help but think about the Lord's Prayer here. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Lord, it's, it's literally this act of going, Lord, I trust you so much more than any political entity, than any person, Lord, than myself. Father, I recognize that you are so much higher and greater and better, and more sovereign, and good, and have the best intentions for me. Father, 
Take a look with me at the word that comes a little bit later in that sentence, the word commit. In, this, in my study this week, this word really came alive. Father, into your hands I commit. So let's look at that word commit. Commit. It comes from the Greek word parathemai, which literally means beside and to place. So in the Greek, it, mean, it means literally to place beside. And Jesus uses the middle voice here, which is interesting, because in secular Greek, the word parathemai in the middle voice was a commercial term for giving something to someone in trust for safekeeping. I love that. That Greek word commit literally means to entrust someone, entrust yourself to someone for safekeeping. Jesus is entrusting himself into his father's arms and knowing fully confidently that he's safe. God the Son entrusted himself into the Father's hands. He trusted that he would keep him safe even in the darkest moment of his life. Isn't that beautiful? In another commentary I read this week, I I love this, it said this, don't miss the fact that Jesus is quoting Scripture with his final words here. Psalm 31, right? Jesus, in his final moments, is literally quoting Scripture. What a challenge to us in the final moments of our life that the word would just come off our tongue and be on our lips and store it into our hearts. What was super interesting as well was that in in that Psalm 31, verse 5, in the NASB, It says, into your hand I commit my spirit because you have ransomed me, O Lord. The truth of the gospel comes out in that word ransom very, very well. That Jesus came to give his life to be a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, right? Literally, in place of. He came as a sacrifice. He came as the substitution for us. His life became the ransom for us. His sacrifice being the substitution for us sinners. He paid a debt that he did not owe, while I owed a debt that I could not pay. You see, what was cool, too, is that the, the Greek word for ransom is, is lutron, and it's found here, and it's found in Mark 10, 45, which says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And that word ransom literally refers to the payment of a price in order to purchase the freedom of a slave. The idea of Jesus as the ransom is that he paid the price with his own life, standing in our place as the substitute for our sins. That is the gospel, and it is beautiful. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted his Father in the darkest hour. Shouldn't that give us confidence to do the same with our life? If Jesus had to do that, how much more so do we need to be relying on our Father? I was on Facebook yesterday and I saw this great quote actually from Paul Tripp and it said, the baby in the manger came as the conquering king to dethrone us and then to enthrone himself in our hearts and lives forever and ever. That is the thing with all of this. We want control. 
We want to be king. We want to be on the throne. We want the outcome. We want the timing. We want to control people. We want to trust nobody other than ourselves. But when we surrender our will and desires into the hands of our conquering king, we begin to hear his voice and he begins to reveal himself to us. Every day, guys, our prayer, our daily prayer should be, Father, I submit and surrender my will and my desires and my idol of control into your hands. This passage this morning, it's, it's calling every one of us in this room to surrender that control in our lives. Matthew 16, 24, it says this, If anybody wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm telling you guys, it is in this posture of surrender that God works and he moves in unbelievable ways. And you know why we can trust him with our life? You know why we can trust him to guide our life? You know why we can surrender to him and trust that he's going to work it all out for our good and, and for his glory? Because he rose from the dead. Luke 24, just one chapter over, it tells us this, that he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He conquered the grave. He's seated now at the right hand of the Father. So because of this truth, we can trust him. We can give our lives and our controls and our trust issues into the hands of the one who died and rose again for these sin issues that we have. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. He, he says that the passion of his life is to know the power of Christ's resurrection and to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. You catch that phrase? He wants to become like him in his death. Shouldn't that be the desire of all of our hearts? Just as Jesus himself in the final moments of his life on earth said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Paul desired that and so should we. We should long to draw from Jesus the power to live and to die like he did. God's will for us is that, that we would literally learn from Jesus how to live well and how to die well. Those last words of Jesus. You see, dying, dying words can be very powerful. I mean, I, I love this glimpse that we get from Jesus here of, of his dying words and, and how that forces us to consider how, how we should live, right? Dying words can be powerful, like, just like we saw this with Jesus, but some of my favorite dying words as well comes from the English martyr Hugh Latimer in the 1500s. He was tied back to back with Nicholas Ridley as these two were burned at the stake for their faith. And he called out as the flames were lit, Be of good comfort, Brother Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. As the fire was kindled as they were being burned to the stake, Ridley cried out, Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Lord, receive my spirit. And he repeated that phrase 
often in his final words as he died a martyr's death. And Latimer cried out, Father of heaven, receive my soul. Now those are two men that followed Paul as he was following Christ. That we would become like him in his death. Don't you desire to be like Christ in his life and his death? then our daily lives should be of one of constant surrender, committing our spirit and our life, our desires, our control, our will to the Father and aligning it with his. Surrender this morning your addiction of control. The timing, the outcomes, the people, or even God. See, Jesus invites us in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to come to him and he will give us rest. Don't you want rest from the fear and uncertainty that you're feeling inside that always makes you want to control things? Then come to Jesus this morning. Surrender to this Jesus who's offering you the most beautiful rest you could ever find. He wants you to come and lay it down at his feet and you will find rest. And we can rest easy knowing when we surrender to him. He's so trustworthy. He's so loving. I'd like to invite Nate to come on back up as I close this morning. I want to ask you guys as I close this morning, what is it today that you are controlling? What is it today that is an idol in your life? Would you be able to sign that blank check if I were to give that to you this morning? Lord, my whole life, everything, my will, my desires, my plans, my ways, all of it laid down at your feet. What's holding you back this morning? What idol is holding you back this morning? What an opportunity for all of us as we go into the new year to begin a daily posture and practice of surrendering our will and our desires to our conquering king. You guys remember that story I, I told you in the beginning? Well, you see, it took some time for me, honestly, to be able to sign that check. I couldn't sign it that night. I knew I had to wrestle with God with some things. Well, eventually I ended up signing that check before the Lord and surrendered my circumstances, my life, my future plans, all at his feet. I realized that going into the medical field was, that was my plan. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't his. And uh, I, I did not know what I was supposed to do with my life. But God ended up making it abundantly clear to me that he was calling me into ministry that summer. And God ended up calling me here to Mercy Hill and I couldn't be so more thankful for where that path took me. Will the cry of your heart be today, Lord, I will go anywhere. I will do anything at any cost for you, my King. As we worship this morning, uh, I want to invite maybe Kevin, Dan, maybe some of the members of our prayer team to come on up. If anybody would like prayer this morning just to confess or pray over the idols of control that you might have in your heart, that you're feeling God stirring you about this morning. Lay it down. 
The altar's open. Pray in your seat. Lay those idols of control down. Surrender it. It is a beautiful thing to find rest in Jesus and laying it all down. Let's worship together as we close this morning. Stand with me.